This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Episode number 79 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. It's our Healthy Scratch interview for the week. And we have a bit of a different one for you this week. We've got a guest joining us uh, that's not a traditional St. Claus St. Huskies hockey fan, but a very knowledgeable Minnesota Wild fan. Has his own podcast, of course, Locked on Wild. Uh, Nick, who do we have on today and what were your impressions of the show? Uh, Seth Tolpaul. Now, mind you, we made an appearance on his podcast a couple of months ago here. Uh, Noah yeah. had a lot of fun more, with it. More like about a month ago, I would say. Not not too long ago. A month yeah. or two ago, either way. Yeah. Um, at, at the end of this, uh, kind of an odd way that the timing just kind of worked out. We actually originally would, we're kind of getting uh, scheduled in to kind of say, hey, you know what? Carell's in so sign. We're going to maybe talk about that. End up being where a little bit more positive wild news uh, evolved before we uh, recorded the show tonight. So um, he's incredibly intelligent, knows the, knows the team. Um, I, I very eloquent and more so he's actually a lot of fun, very funny dude. So again, very, very fun to talk with him and more to get his insights uh, on the Caprice contract, as well as how this team's going to look moving into the 2021, 22 season. Yeah, we anticipated half an hour. We got a little over an hour with this. So uh, hopefully you enjoy the show. We won't keep you waiting. Episode 79's healthy scratch interview segment. Welcome back to the Den Husky Warming House podcast, fans. It is episode number 79. And with some giant news from the Minnesota Wild, we are happy to welcome back Lockdown Wild host Seth Topol. Uh, Seth, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, Seth. When we first scheduled you, I really thought this was going to be a much different segment than it is. But I think we would all in this chat would agree this is probably the better option to talk about how finally the Wild do sign Kuroka Prisov, uh to his now new deal. Yeah. I mean, it, it could have been a very different look too. I, I had gotten to the point as this negotiation wore on where I was just keeping the lights off and was just sitting in like the corner of my apartment, just really like wallowing in it. And so this has been fun to like, be able to actually like leave my apartment and be amongst the public now that I don't have to worry about this anymore. And the deal is finally done and I have just been enjoying it ever since. You know, COVID keeps some people from leaving their apartment, but Kirill Kaprizov has kept you from leaving yours. So that's, that, that's exciting. Seth, uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you on the show. Of course, you have your own podcast, who is much, much more successful than ours. Uh, I believe the first time that we met, it was uh, kind of humorous. We were just hitting 10,000 audio listens, and Seth said, yeah, I had that last month. But anyway, nonetheless, <laughs> Seth, uh, what kind of podcast uh, do you run for the listeners, and how has it been going? 
thank you for asking and thank you for having me on fellas uh locked on wild a daily podcast right around 20 25 minutes or so uh every day and you know obviously with a daily podcast it is a much different adventure than a weekly or like twice a week type podcast so a lot of times what we are doing uh, and what I've started doing, especially here uh, to finish off the off season is just trying to get different perspectives from people. And so that way you may have one idea that you really hit on over the course of a week and you just get multiple people throughout the industry, throughout the podcast world, you get their opinions on it. And it, it ends up leading to uh, getting a lot of different perspectives that you're able to cycle through uh, throughout the course of a week. So now that training camp is beginning uh, here uh, this week and we'll be getting preseason games starting up this weekend, we're going to be able to dive back into the nitty gritty, the ins and outs, who played well, who didn't. And so that's going to be exciting to bring some of that back. We're planning to do postseason or uh, post game podcasts in addition to our daily hits. So that is going to be uh, a little bit of a uh, large piece of toast for me, but you know, I love doing it. And so we just want to continue to bring as much info as we can um, throughout the days and the weeks. And biggest exciting thing is that we just hit YouTube this week. So you get a chance to see this in addition to hearing this uh, Monday through Friday on the lockdown podcast network. And, and which one of those is better Seth, the face of the audio. You know, honestly, I did not realize I make as many faces throughout the course of a podcast as I do, which led to, if you look at um, the episode that was posted today, uh, reacting to Kirill Kaprizov signing his extension, it's one of the most amazing faces I think I have made through the course of a pod. I can't replicate it. Like, it just <laughs> happened on its own. I don't know what I was saying to get to that point, but it's definitely fun to then scour through and be like, okay, that's the thumbnail for today because I don't know how I made that face and I don't know the context. So that's just the perfect way to key this in. Yeah. I think Nick, Nick Maxson needs to be careful because I'm the one who edits the edits, the, the show. And of course has the screenshot always picked out every week. And Nick, you make some pretty interesting faces as well too. So be nice like, to me. Well, 10,000 of them, all of them are just just terribly ugly. So, and it's just not good. So I I'm happy with just audio only there, Seth, but I kind of want to get, uh, going back to Kaprizov cause he's got, uh, not only just a really good, he's got a good face, but he's also got a really good, um, uh, you know, he's good at hockey. We'll put it that way. Uh, a little bit surprising, um, a couple of the details of this deal. I, I think what was interesting was both sides a little bit was some media chess here. It sounds like Kirill Kaprizov has been in Florida, if not for over a week, um, for at least for, uh, some reporting from Michael Russo, um, I guess already supposedly either has been vaccinated in the U.S. or has the Russian like equivalent to just maybe needs to um, get to the U.S. version. But uh, it sounds like from what we can what we can tell is that at least both sides with that move were kind of anticipating that this deal was at least coming soon. Uh, your reaction to uh, Caprizo being in the States even well before the signing was announced. That was a welcome surprise to say the least. And I think it speaks to this thought that I've had as these negotiations have worn on. Now I preface that by saying, I don't necessarily have any sort of Intel on this is just kind of a gut feeling is that those comments that Bill Guerin made at at the uh, prospect camp 
with saying, you know, we are prepared to move on with this team as it currently exists. We'd like to get Kirill here and have him sign, but obviously that's going to take time. I think those comments kind of held some weight. And yes, if he is vaccinated and is uh, already having done the quarantine period, that means that he probably was in time either at or a little before the prospect showcase uh, even started. But at the same time, you can back up to some of the comments that Garen made even before the prospect showcase. I think those just started to kind of wear on Kaprizov and the fact that the season is so close, I think finally started to really sink in with him that, look, we're not going to necessarily get what uh, his agent, Paul Theofanos, was angling for with the three-year deal. And uh, the Wild are not going to get the eight-year deal that they wanted. So it truly is that we have to meet in the middle And his desire to play, I think, finally won out in that he just said, look, let's sign this thing and let's get this done. And let's get back to focusing on the hockey side of things as opposed to the will he go to the KHL? Oh, wait, that's not a legitimate option. Now what is he going to do? All of that now is gone. You know, one of the things that I I had noticed, and and this was coming uh, at about 2.45 today, of course, we're recording this Wednesday night. This is coming out Thursday morning. Uh, This is from Minnesota Wild PR, and it said the groups for the first day of Minnesota Wild training camp. Group A takes the ice at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Kirill Kaprizov's name was amongst that list. But let's talk about the contract itself, because I know that uh, it was a discussion for the entire summer, quite obviously, about what was going to be the term, and then more importantly, what was going to be the price point where they're going to be signed bonuses where they're going to be you know any no trades no move clauses attached to that um five years nine million dollars uh, a no trade in years four and five what are your thoughts on that contract Seth? do you think this is an overpay by the minnesota wild are they investing in the future what are your thoughts yes i i think it is an overpay but it's not one that i'm upset with i i think this is a byproduct of the situation. If you want to look at the biggest factor for why we got to this point, it was the wild burning that final year of eligibility mm-hmm. to get Kirill here earlier. And so you then have one season of, of work to go off of for Kaprizov. And it was a great season by no mistake. But with that being the only thing that you really have to go off of, you are taking a leap of faith in hoping that he continues his progression and he continues to become a player that not only will be the face of this franchise, but will be one of the faces of the NHL. So you are investing a lot of money in him doing that. If he lives up to that level, if he exceeds that level, this contract is a bargain and he will be a player then that approaches, you know, 10, 11, $12 million per season if he becomes a 30, 40, 50 goal per year player, if he's able to achieve those levels of performance with better line mates, I don't see there being any reason he can't. So this is, yes, a huge investment for the Wild, but it is one that I think has more of a chance to look better for them than it does to look worse. Because you look at the the factors that would have to happen for this to look like a bad deal for the Wild. Kaprizov would have to somehow fall off a cliff performance-wise. I don't get the sense that that's going to happen. Injuries, yes, that is a legitimate risk, but you take that risk with every contract you sign. Mm -hmm. So the odds of this looking really good for the Wild are much better than the odds of this like cratering and ending up looking bad on them. I tend to agree, Seth. Uh, And, you know, for, for 
for the wild faithful who have been following this soft season, which has had uh, some up and downs per se. Um, I think the biggest question that we all have is, you know, at $9 million for five years, that gets them past the proverbial cap hell. Uh, that would be the Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, um, uh, I could see dead cap penalties. Uh, but I guess even at $9 million, it was some of the contracts that are on the books currently. And for some that will be on the books, does this limit what the Wild can do in the next couple of years as far as being a contender? Or do you feel like there's still some flexibility um, with this contract as well as with the money that they're paying them? I think the biggest thing that this contract and the buyouts show us is that this team is going to give very long and good looks to the prospects in the system. And in situations where they are weighing do we go with a veteran player or do we bring someone up from the system to, uh, to give us minutes, to give us a spot on one of these lines? I think we're going to see them lean much more towards the prospects and they've got the system to do it. I mean, we've got guys, Marco Rossi, Matt Boldy, Kalen Addison are three guys that are on the cusp of being ready to play right now. And I think they have a great chance to make this roster on opening night. You look past that, you've got other guys who will get great looks as we move along. Adam Beckman, I think, is a guy that definitely will get uh, a look as we, uh, as we move throughout the next couple of years. Let's not forget the three top draft picks that this team made. Um, this past draft, Jesper Wallstad will probably come in and fill the spot that Cam Talbot vacates when he leaves, unless he takes a bit of a uh, Minnesota discount to stay. You've also got Carson Lambos that could step in and fill one of those uh, defense spots. And also one of your guys, Jack Pert, who uh, was drafted by the wild as well and could find his way into the lineup within the next couple of years also. So I think, yes, it's going to be difficult for the wild to make moves free agency wise, especially in years uh, three and four of those buyouts. But at the same time, that just means that we're going to see these young guys get a much deserved chance to take some of those minutes. And this is all stuff that Bill Guerin is going to be able to go to Kirill Kaprizov and say, look at this guy. He is playing great and he's going to allow us, if he continues at this level, to take some of the money that we would give to a veteran and give it to a more prominent free agent once the buyouts go back down. So it's all, it is all connected and I make no mistake. This is all stuff that Bill Guerin is going to be talking to Kirill Kaprizov about because he is as important to this franchise as Aaron Rodgers is to Green Bay, as any of those other top tier players are important to their teams. And they all get put in these um, management decision scenarios, too. So I, he definitely is going to be part of this process as well. You talk about the young guys. I, I, Kalen Addison, maybe a guy now with the recent offseason signings, might be a little bit farther away potentially in that lineup, barring injury or a really great camp for him. But the two guys I think everyone's got their eye on, uh, Marco Rossi, Matt Boldy, of course. But uh, we've seen from Bill Guerin, he's talked about, I want to put these guys, you know, they have to be, you know, within a role that's designed for them. We don't need them playing fourth line minutes. We need them playing a lot every night. If they're not going to get that at the NHL level, they're going to get that at the AHL level. Uh, do you anticipate uh, one or both of these players or none of these uh, uh, two players in Rossi and Boldy, do you anticipate them being in that opening night roster? And uh, where would you see them as a potential fit if they are to make the squad? I do see them both making the, the team and I'm, I'm smiling because I can think of no better fit 
and a guy who had a great season himself, albeit with some very, very changing line parts and also having to deal with Victor Rask for a little bit of the season. I think the best spot to put Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi with, because they're both going to be on the same line. We saw enough chemistry in the prospect showcase that those two should be inseparable for their first few years in the the league, at least. How good would those two be with Kevin Fiala? Yeah, I can see that. You want to talk about a guy who had Ryan Hartman playing center. I love, I want to say this. I love Ryan Hartman. He is not a center. I love Hartman as a wing on this team. He brings a level of like grit and just heads up play that this team needs. And he is a huge part of this team's success. And I applaud him for kind of stepping up and playing in that spot last year. He is not a center. And so you put those two with Kevin Fiala. Marco Rossi is the center. You've got Boldy and Fiala on opposite sides. Lethal. Do it. And Fiala will be happy. Fiala is a guy that can take pressure off of those two. And they are also better than the line mates that Fiala had this past season. So I, I think it's just a perfect combo to put all those three on the same line and just let them do their thing. And Victor Rask at the first center position, right? <laughs> oh boy. I Next question. <laughs> I mean, we got one more year of it at 4 million. And then after that, I, I don't think he's going to come back. Victor Rask is a good player, but he is just, he is more of a third or a fourth line guy than he is. Like if the Tampa Bay lightning had him on their roster, he would be a third or fourth line center for them. We're asking him to be a number one center. So it's just the fact that he's out of position. He's being asked to do a little too much. Once he's not with us anymore, then Marco Rossi hops up to that top line. And then maybe we get a little Kaprizov, Rossi and Fiala. Maybe, <laughs> but if maybe. not, at least, at least Kaprizov and Rossi will be paired up together after this year. And there's a bit of a risk there too, Seth, because again, you know, Matt Boldy uh, did play well in the AHL. We still don't know how Marco Rossi uh, will uh, adjust his game to the NHL level. There's still, and I think this is slightly, at least in my opinion, a little overplayed on his health. He looks fantastic in my opinion. Um, but again, you are learning the NHL game. So is there a scenario where let's just say Marco Rossi and Matt Boyd, let's say they do make the opening squad. Let's say they struggle. Um, that puts Bill Gear in a bit of a tough spot, right? So do you, do you just put them down the lineup or as Noah alluded to, do you make the tough decision to maybe send one or both back to Iowa to get the minutes, to get them, you know, I guess a little bit more experience. Um, you know, is there a lot of pressure on these young players to really be some of those missing pieces, the wild needs, that youth, that skill to maybe elevate the team were in a spot they maybe didn't have uh, last season? I think there is. And this underscores the fact that this year in and of itself is just such an oddity with what is coming for this team. Um, the fact that you got that cap relief this year, but don't have it really at all next year. And then two years and three years from now, there is no cap relief at all. And so you've got this weird kind of like one year window to really try to do something. But at the same time, if you aren't going to, or you don't feel like you're going to be a legit Stanley cup contender, um, which honestly with the way the Western conference looks and the fact that the Pacific division has one good team, um, 
I, I still think that the wild could find themselves in like fourth in the central and still make the playoffs. It's going to be difficult because they got the full schedule and I know that point has been made a lot, but it is definitely a legitimate one that they're playing the entirety of the NHL. So that regression of not playing the West so many games and kind of coming back down to earth a little bit is definitely there. And there is going to be a learning curve with those guys. I mean, we don't get everybody to come up like Kirill Kaprizov did and just light it up from the moment they step on the ice. There's a legit chance that Boldy and Rossi both could struggle when they come up. It just, I think with the way that this team is going to be structured with all of these uh, dead cap hits, I think the patience needs to be there to allow both of them when they're given the opportunity to kind of fight through it. Because like, I mean, the other options you have are guys like Kyle Rao. Um, I mean, Nick Bugstad is, uh, is another veteran that this team re-signed in the off season. And if you are telling me like that, you're going to get a guy like Luke Johnson, who I know is not on the team, but basically filled that role this last year of that just depth AHL guy that was come up and take minutes. If you're asking me if I'd rather have like those guys play as opposed to a Boldy and Rossi who might not be ready, but could be better than those guys almost immediately. I'm going to go with those two every time, even if they don't necessarily play well to start. Yeah, the one the one piece that you had added to, and obviously uh, when you talk about struggling, one of the things that you see, especially with offensive minded players like a Marco Rossi, um, you know, Kirill Kaprizov when he comes in, although I thought he got better as the year goes on, that's the defensive side of the puck. And I think when you mentioned that unit of Boldy Rossi and then uh, Kevin Fiala, there's, I, I guess I'm wondering where's the defense on that one? Because I mean, they, they are so offensively gifted as well too. I, my question to you is this. When you look at the Minnesota Wild depth chart, I mean, you bring in uh, Freddie Goudreau, as you mentioned, Nick Bukestad resigns. Uh, Nico Sturm is one of my favorite players, a great bottom six forward. Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, of course, Zuccarello, Eric Sinek, uh, Kaprizov, and Greenway, as well as whoever's going to fill the remaining slots in addition to Victor Rask. Is there a forward in this group that you feel has yet to take the next step out of out of the guys that are there? Um, I know a guy like Jordan Greenway comes up a lot. He's got a lot of facial hair at this particular point. Um, but it, it, is there a guy on your list that you think uh, still has yet to elevate his game to the next level? I'm going to give you two. I think Greenway is probably the expected answer for this, just because it seems like he's put it together in pieces. Um, and just hasn't really quite put the whole thing together yet. And he just, he still doesn't seem like he uses his physicality as much as he should. So he's definitely a guy that I think, and probably with the fact that his current deal is up after next season. And it's something like a two ish million. Cap it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty minor, but at the same time, maybe the wild end up deciding that they have seen all they need to see and they don't end up wanting to pursue that any further. That's that will impact if he doesn't perform at a higher level, that'll impact his next contract, wherever that may be. If it doesn't end up being here, the other guy, and this stems kind of from what I have heard from uh, his previous stop is uh, Freddie Goudreau seems like a perfect candidate for this as well. It, from what I've heard, he really showed some nice flashes uh, in Pittsburgh and just didn't really, for whatever reason, get the minutes to really put it all together. And 
with, you know, I mean, you could look at in a matter of fact way that Goudreau is directly replacing Nick Benino. We all know what Nick Benino did for this team last year. And so if they want to give Goudreau those minutes and see what he's capable of doing, that's a good opportunity for him to, uh, to really blossom as well. I am as high on Nico Sturm, Noah, as you are. Um, I, I just, I, in fact, on Lockdown Wilds, we are doing a segment of bold predictions. I predicted 20 goals from him this season, just because I think that his stock just continues to rise and 11 goals in 55 games. If you stretch that out over 82, that's 18 goals. And so you throw in a couple of empty netters, a couple of two on ones, things along that line. I think it's very attainable. And especially with the departures that the wild have had and some of the new phases coming in and the potential that there will be some younger players that get minutes on this team. He's going to be asked to do more. And I think he's more than capable of doing it. I think the big question, you know, if we if we take a step back here, Seth, is now with Capri Seth sign, we have an idea of some of the roster spots there. Um, you know, obviously some positions there, but I think the big question for Wilds fans is again, I think the the three and four year cap, you know, absolute, you know, dungeon is haunting these fans. Um, especially with the prospect of uh, the, the salary cap not giving the wild any help and how Minnesota is this to finally get a franchise player to have a pandemic that halts the salary cap where you get them paid, but maybe now you can't afford anybody else. Just, it yeah. just makes so much sense in the world. Hashtag Timberwolves know so well as well. So, but on a separate note, you know, is this team the way it's constructed now could they contend for a Stanley cup? I think there is a dark horse chance possibly there, but I'm curious to your thoughts as, as you mentioned, the schedule now opens up, uh, you know, you're going to have a, still a slightly different schedule considering that the Olympics are still making uh, a lot of three games of four nights. So scheduling could be, could be a lot of tired players at times. And with the West coast teams, the travel is always a lot harder than the Eastern conference. Is this team a cup contender the way it is uh, roster-wise right now? I like the phrase dark horse because I think there would be some things that would need to go well for this team in order to do that. Do they have the players to do so? Yes, because as this team did not have in the past, you know, in the those eight consecutive seasons that they made the playoffs and they were always kind of one of those underachieving, aggressively gritty, scrappy teams they lacked the guy that could take over a game and could win you a game by himself. And they now have that and just signed him to a new extension. That is, I think the X factor that puts them in serious contention. Um, if he can get on, and I think especially if they can get him and Kevin Fiala to both go on the stretches that they're capable of, if Fiala can have those stretches while Kaprizov is also having them, that makes this team even more dangerous. A couple of other things that would have to, I think, go the Wilds way in order for this to happen. Can't have any injuries to the goalies. I mean, Cam Talbot is, there is a history of him missing games throughout the course of his career. If he plays like he did last year and he avoids missing time and the Wilds can do kind of a 50-30 split uh, between him and Capo Kakinen, they're going to be great again in the net. Talbot was sensational pretty much all season last year. 
if Capo can show that his numbers against St. Louis and Colorado were fluky and were the result of just a couple of bad games, if he levels off his performance against those guys, that goes a long way too. Cause then you have this stable goalie position that you don't have to really worry about on a nightly basis. And then on offense, they're going to need a couple of those young guys. They're going to need Boldy and or Rossi to come up and to perform well. I think if you get those elements and you start to sprinkle those into the, into the soup with Kirill Kaprizov's excellence, with more offense from Jewel Erickson Eck to combat his defense, and you know Jordan Greenway putting it all together, Nico Sturm with uh, a, a huge resurgence season, and some good stuff from Freddie Goudreau, and maybe a game-winning goal from Nick Bugstead here and there. I think it's a pretty good recipe for uh, a dangerous team that could do exactly what Montreal did this past season. Sounds like one heck of a grocery list though, or shopping list though. <laughs> let, 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 let's be real. Um, I, I've got, I've got uh, two questions for you here on this next one here. One has to do with a forward and the other has to do with a defensive group. I'm going to start with the forward here. And that's a uh, Jewel Erickson Eck who uh, recently got signed to his new contract. Uh, 19 goals, 11 assists, 30 points and 56 games for him uh, this past season. Uh is he a guy that, you know, for all the all the issues related to him being so strong defensively, but not really having that offensive push or production that we finally saw last year, is he a guy that that production last year was a one-off or does he still have more to unlock on the offensive side? Do you think he's going to become kind of more of that Miko Koivu shutdown center as he goes through his career? Or do you think that um, the real piece of the puzzle that's going to continue to make him, you know, worth his contract is that offensive development that's still yet to come? I think he has some things that he can still kind of scratch the surface with on offense. I mean, the the defense has been there. We know that night in and night out, we're going to get a guy who is a pest by the words of his opponents. And I think we saw hope that he can kind of put that offense together this past season. Now, how much of that was those chip-ins and those rebounds? At the same time, I think that goes to him just establishing a presence on offense and being a guy that can be relied upon finding that chemistry with Felino and Greenway and uh, turning that into a really, really solid line for this team. Now, I don't know if they're going to stick with those lines for this season or if they're going to kind of jumble them a little bit. The worst thing that could happen for Jewel Erickson Eck to continue his offense is for him to get like paired with Kaprizov. And I'm of course joking. That would be the best thing that could happen for him that he gets paired with a guy in Kirill Kaprizov who just makes these next level passes and is setting his teammates up constantly. Um, I I think that would be a further way to help um, him kind of accentuate his offense while also understanding he's probably not a number one center. He is a very good, like number two center, but until the wilds really figure out what Marco Rossi is, I think it makes some sense to maybe look at that as a, as a pairing, unless Dean Evison says, no, that line was so good last year. We're just going to keep it as is, but I think there's still some elements to the game that Erickson Eck can unlock. Obviously, if he continues to do so, just as with Kirill Kaprizov, that contract looks like a steal. If it looks like that is kind of his peak and he starts to regress a little bit, then yeah, there are going to be some questions and that Miko Koivu comparison is a good one. Um, unless he takes that next step and he can add to that offensive arsenal. 
I think it's interesting when you talk about contracts too. One guy that's benefited so much that we thought might almost be one of the worst contracts that was actually Matt Zuccarello until Kirill Kaprizov came to town. And he's a guy who kind of gets lost in the shuffle as now a, a pure mainstay in this roster and a guy that's going to produce very well. My question about the defenseman, as you look at the pairings, uh, this is kind of where the bulk of the offseason moves came for the Minnesota Wild. Obviously losing, uh, for better or for worse, Ryan Suter, who was a mainstay on the back end, replacing him with Alice Goligoski. Jared Spurgeon, Jonas Bernin, and Matt Dumba fill out that top four. And then you've got Dmitry Kulikov, John Merrill, Jordy Ben, and I suppose Kalen Addison, if you want to throw him into the mix as well. What, do you, what are your thoughts on this defensive core for the Minnesota a while so far do you like the offseason moves they made and uh do you think that betting with alice Golagoski on the forefront at a hefty five million dollar contract to see if he performs well and stays is the right move for minnesota yeah that contract i'm i'm still kind of torn on it i mean i i like Golagoski as a player um but at the same time you know i i can understand why people say five million is a little steep but at the same time, with where the Wild are at cap wise, they have no choice. And so you got to you got to overpay a little bit to convince the guy to come in and then say, hey, if you like it here, if you like what we're doing, then maybe you kind of help us out on the other end. I think he will add some nice things that this team didn't have over the uh, the last couple of seasons. You know, I've, I've mentioned in Lockdown Wild before one of the really interesting byproducts from Ryan Suter being bought out is that that opens up a mountain of power play minutes. Yes. <laughs> and for what we saw from Suter for, you know, I, I thought while he looked like he was losing a step and like he'd lost all of his steps, I still thought he had a, uh, a good year this past year. So obviously that's a huge hole to fill, but at the same time, I just, I never felt like he was really adding anything on the power play. And so getting him off of the power play getting somebody else, whether it be Goligoski, I know he did a lot of that in Arizona. He could maybe fill that spot with the wild this year. I would like to see it go to somebody else though. Um, he could maybe help out with that. I, I wonder if he's going to end up being that top line guy um, or if he ends up slotting into maybe that second line and they kind of jumble those pairings a little bit, but you know, the third line pairing is really intriguing too, because you've got it. I feel like Kulikov is penciled in, and that other side is where you've got the guys battling to take that spot. And if Dean Evison elects to go with the experience and go with Jordy Ben, I will not fault him for that at all because Ben is a guy that's been around and he's going to, he's going to be able to very quickly find his place on this team. Do I think Kalen Addison offers more upside and could help on the power play substantially? I do. But if they decide to go with Ben to fill that final spot, I will not fault this team at all because, hey, he's an experienced guy. He's going to know his role, and he is going to buy them time until Addison is ready to come up. I think Addison ends up being the first injury replacement for this team. Um, but I don't know. He's he's The Wild have bought themselves some time, but they don't necessarily need Addison right away as long as some of those guys in front of him actually perform. So Seth, what I wanted to to follow up on that a little bit was, you know, uh, on the power play a little bit, I think we can both agree that Matt Dumba still is PP1, at least as of right now. And I think if I recall correctly in my memory, which is never crystal clear, especially at this age, um, that Dean Evison did try a couple of different times with four forwards and one defenseman. Now with Suter out of the mix, 
And granted, we can have the discussion of whether was there maybe pressure on the coaching staff. I don't think as much with Evanson as there was in maybe uh, past coaches to keep him on some of those specialty units. Um, you know, do we see a little bit more consistently, maybe a four forward, one defenseman power play? But I think even the bigger question is who replaces them with a penalty kill? Just as much as we like to give uh, Suter a little bit of grief on the PP and was well-deserved, I think. But he was a staple on the penalty kill and one that's going to be very, very important uh, for this team, I think, as they move forward into the season. A hundred percent. And I, I don't know. It, it all depends, I suppose, on what they end up doing for those line combos if they elect to put Goligoski with Jared Spurgeon and then they go Brodeen and Dumba. Um, I think you just look at it as you put your best defenseman out there on the penalty kill. And I mean, I would at least try to do Spurgeon and Brodeen to start. You really, you really then at that point can say, Hey, we got our best lockdown defenders out here on the penalty kill. And so that's, you know, that's going to help us out in these spots, the Wild were not great on the penalty kill for a good portion of the season last year, which was horrendous, but I would try that. And honestly, I think as long as, you know, we'll, we'll get a pretty good taste as to where Goligoski is going to fit in on this team within the first week or so of the season. I'd go with, um, I'd go with Brodine and Spurgeon to start. If they want to adjust it from there, I'm fine with that. But, you know, I, for the sake of trying to not give up power play goals, put your two best defensemen out there and ride with it. A couple more here for you, uh, Seth. Uh, so you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the wild could finish fourth in the central division. Uh, just so, you know, for the audience is clear. Uh, I just want you to kind of recap uh, for those who is the top three in the central. Uh, I think we can all, I think we all can agree on Colorado as being number one, but who is two, who's three. And, you know, yeah, while I think are comfortably four, but, you know, is there an argument to me that Chicago, some of the moves they make could be sneaky in this central division? It's so I, I feel like the central division hinges on a couple of players. If Colorado gets good goaltending from Darcy Kemper, they're going to take the they're going to take the central. They're going to run away with it. If he struggles, though, and we look a month into the season and say, boy, that was that was not a good trade. And they're kind of scrambling to try to fill that goalie spot wide open, because while I say the Wilds could finish fourth in the division, I think there is really not a huge separation between any of the teams two through five. I mean, you've got St. Louis, who is kind of rebuilding, I guess, but still call the the blues are daddies. I mean, they just destroyed the wild last year. I hate watching that matchup anytime yeah. it's on TV. So I'm not a huge fan of them, but I mean, they are always a dangerous team because they're so big and they're so physical. And that is just, that's a, just a weird thing to run into like midweek and it can just completely derail you after a matchup. So St. Louis could potentially sneakily get back into this. If they get some good rebound performances, Dallas was just so hurt. And so not in it up until like the last two weeks of the season last year, if they are any bit more consistent than they were last year, they'll be tough Chicago. If Mark Andre Fleury does what he did last year, that's going to be a very dangerous team. If he slips up, they're not going to be in it. Um, and then, you know, you've got Winnipeg as well. I'm not super familiar with uh, what the Jets have done, but I have heard that, you know, they've got good goaltending 
And that's usually a pretty good uh, method for success. So those are the teams I think that are going to be in the mix. Nashville did one of those like lightning in a bottle things. Maybe they can do it again, but odds are probably not. I think one definite thing is that Arizona is going to be in last. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you're I, not going to hear any, any of us, you know, yeah, disagree with you on that bet. one. Honestly, I, just, <laughs> I really don't know what they've got going for them. And so that's just, that's just going to be the team that Kirill Kaprizov circles on the schedule every night. And he'll have like 15 goals in their matchups. So, you know, you're going to have just this lump of teams. You're going to have Colorado. If they get what they need, they'll be at the top. And there'll be a lump that'll be like two through six. And then there'll be whatever's left. Oh, sorry. No, I thought that you you were doing this whole like breathe in and I'm ready to go here. So yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how I but, keep you uh, on your toes is what I do. Exactly. Um, especially for my old toes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Seth, do you I think it's easy to say that, you know, the road to a Stanley Cup appearance for the wild hinges through both Colorado and most likely Vegas in, in the West. Uh you know, for Minnesota, they did take Vegas to seven games. Uh, game seven, a little bit disappointing in terms of the scoreboard, although I thought it was a little bit closer than maybe the score uh, would indicate. Um, however, you know, do, does this wild team, in your opinion, have what it takes to maybe pull off uh, a, a seven-game playoff series win against Colorado and against Vegas? And I hinge this on one thing. The defense, you can definitely tell that there was an emphasis on size. Um, in the rebuild, uh, we saw that in the in the in the final. Tampa's defense, their trees. Montreal, they just played a very sound team defensive game, and they did it basically with size. Um, with the new remake blue line, and with the way that this team now looks offensively, now that we have Dada Dada Bill Carrell back in the fold, can they do it against Colorado? And can they do it against Vegas? Albeit again in a seven game playoff series. I think they can. It's I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that they would not be the favorite in either of those situations, but let's look at Vegas. They do not have Marc-Andre Fleury anymore. Um, Vegas is very much feeling the effects of being right up against the salary cap. And so they're starting to both them and Colorado are starting to get to that losing the depth which yeah, is probably not a big deal as long as everybody stays healthy. But if they start to have some injuries throughout the year, really going to feel it. And, you know, do I like our chances against Robin Leonard more than Marc-Andre Fleury? Yes, I do. But I worry that if you go up against a Vegas, that you run into the same problem that the wild ran into throughout the duration of the series is that the golden Knights put two players on Kirill Kaprizov and they just follow him around the ice. And there just there was no adjustment from that for the Wild. They could barely get the puck out of their own ends um, in multiple games in that series, and yet still got it to Game Seven. And I don't know if Jonas Brodeen doesn't go down injured in that Game Seven. I think it ends up a whole lot closer than it did. Maybe the Wild end up pulling one out. You never know. Um, and then with Colorado. Uh, Darcy Kemper, a player that the wild have had good success against throughout the course of his career. So can they score on those goalies is really the biggest question mark. And can we avoid those stretches where for like eight or 10 minutes, it seems like the other team possesses the puck a hundred percent of the time. Like that just gets to be exhausting. Cause you, if you're like me, you're sitting in front of your TV, you're not breathing 
because you're just you're holding your breath in, trying to kind of channel good vibes, hoping that the team can get the puck out. And then all they do is they clear it. It's an icing. It comes right back in. Got extra attackers. It's just chaos. So. Oh, come on, I, Seth. It's the best because then you get to see your optometrist in the morning because you've been looking left on your TV screen the entire day. So, <laughs> Got a muscle spasm on the right side of my neck because I can't turn my head that way anymore. I think they, I think they would have a, a chance against both of those teams. But again, just like with this season, for them to be a legit cup contender, they'd have to have some things go right for them in those two series too. Seth, I, I have one final question. And of course, in Noah Grant typical fashion, it's a 1A, 1B question, as always. It will uh, be 1C, too. <laughs> as we approach just over 40 minutes again, we thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and my first question is uh, What are your thoughts on the Seattle Kraken's chances in the Pacific uh, this season? How are they going to do in their inaugural, inaugural season? And then league wide, which team from the West and which team from the East meets in the Stanley cup final and who takes the cup in an early bold prediction. That's quite a transition. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to give Seattle the benefit of the doubt because the Pacific still contains Anaheim, San Jose and the LA Kings. And so I'm going to say that, yeah, I think Seattle can do enough to uh, to get into the playoffs as one of those final few teams, maybe that final team from the West that gets in. Would it be surprised if Ron Francis kind of overplayed his hand and did mental gymnastics throughout this whole expansion draft when all he had to do was simply take the best player available on every roster? No, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And so I think, I think Seattle has as, as good of a chance, and this is just a terribly cliched answer, but I talked myself into it, so I'm just going to finish it. <laughs> it would not surprise me if they make the playoffs. It would also not surprise me if they don't make the playoffs. It's just it's such a weird mix of players. Like, there were so many selections where they picked a particular player off of a roster, and you're like, huh? <laughs> that, d- who? Who? Like there were, there were actually a couple of players where I'm like, I have no idea who that is. And like the list is in front of you pick somebody, just, just go to NHL 21, organize everybody by overall skill level, pick the top guy. It's that simple Ronald. So yeah, I, I could see Seattle making it. I could also see them not making it. I I don't know. It's going to hinge on Carson Susie, clearly. Top top line shutdown defenseman, Carson <laughs> Susie. It is the Seattle Kraken are the perfect fit for the utter chaos that is every other Seattle franchise in sports. The Seahawks are utter chaos in a good and a bad way with Pete Carroll and the Seattle Mariners trade like 200 players a year and are just never perpetually good. So perfect fit, perfect fit for what they're doing in Seattle. So supersonics are having a great year though. (laughs) That being said, I am picking the Seattle Kraken to represent the Western conference. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's there's hot takes. And then there's like, you know, press bar on fire takes. So, Oh my gosh. I I think the Timberwolves have a better chance of, you know, (laughs) putting on skates and putting a competitive. (laughs) Uh, Um, so contenders from the East and the West from the East, 
I'm going to go with the team that got the guy that I wanted the wild to get to play a center spot. If not for the guy that is their top center, that is probably going to leave that we could then sign afterwards, the Florida Panthers. Ooh, okay. uh, so yeah, I'm going with the Florida Panthers in the East. I am going to go in the West. I like the part where, when I asked you the question, you're biding your time with, with, with your, in the West, you know, the conference <laughs> in which there are teams. I might select someone. There is a team in the West <laughs> that plays in the mountains and their goalie is Darcy Kemper. And yeah, so I'm going Panthers pick. Avs and I'm going with the Panthers to win sweep to Ooh. sweep to sweep. Do you remember that- Seth random trivia question? When is the last time the Florida Panthers made the Stanley cup final? You just took my comments. God damn you. <laughs> and there why were a lot of rats. Like this is, why do I feel like this is a 90s answer? There were a lot of is. rats on the ice, and it was my birth year. I wasn't even born yet, actually. 19. They were swept, if that helps you. So this would be revenge sweep. Um, <laughs> would be. It is 1990-something. I can't pin down the year. See, my hockey fandom has started within the last probably seriously three years. It is, so ni- it is 1996. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. was it not the Colorado Avalanche that beat them? Is that, am I, am I mistaken on that? I'll look, you, I'll look it you up. You are not, you're not. The Colorado Avalanche did beat the Florida Panthers in the Stanley cup final it, to give Colorado their first franchise Stanley cup since moving from Quebec and how, Funny would that be for Florida to get their first franchise Stanley Cup against Colorado? That'd be actually kind of a fun little history what, nugget, too, wouldn't it? Was that the year that Yui Krupp scored the game? That was Yui Krupp from the point. Yeah. Yes, it was. I'm so telling you, you we need to we need to make <laughs> revenge sweeps a thing. Speaking of revenge, my last and final question, Seth, is I have to get your take on the revenge. Offer sheet yeah. from the Carolina Hurricanes to Mark Bergevin's flow and the Montreal Canadiens who sit on their hockey thrones above the northern border. Um, there's two parts of this, right? First of all, there's the offer sheet itself, which is the player, the amount that was offered. And then there is the pettiness, the execution of the announcement and every golden nugget that came with us that was just, I think, just brilliant comedy from the Carolina hurricanes, but I am very curious as to your take on first, the news of it and to um, the after fact, both from uh, the social media, then of course, uh, uh, Montreal, not matching. Insert Kevin Malone. It's just nice to win one gift for the Carolina <laughs> because they had an off season and it was not a good one. I mean, you lose your starting goalie because you get petty and you don't think that he's worth the contract. And so he goes and signs for less than he wanted with the Detroit Red Wings. They were that just saving was... up for Kaka Niemi. That's why. <laughs> I mean, and you know, D'Angelo. <laughs> I wonder how good of a lift Bergevin got after that news came in, if, cause you, you know, people that are like super workout in tunes, a good way to get frustration out of the system is to go just move the earth. <laughs> and so I'm sure he did. It, it was just, it was just so amazing to watch the Twitter um, 
the Twitter trolling unfold from the hurricanes, um, just chef's kiss to whoever's running that account. And so, you know, hockey aside, it's something that Bergevin's going to have in the back of his head. And if the opportunity ever presents itself for him to get even, he will do so. And then some like this is, this is not quite Seattle Seahawks taking Sidney rice. And then the Vikings taking, um, (laughs) Steve Hutchinson. It's not quite that level because that was almost immediate payback. This is going to be the slow knife. One of my favorite quotes from the dark Knight rises. This is the slow knife that waits and finds its opening and whatever the rest of the quote is. <laughs> um, it's the slow knife that gets the kill. And so Bergevin right now is just, he's just plotting, just waiting when the time comes. Crush him. And I, and the, I wrote, yeah, the, go ahead. Well, the, I, and the question is, does he last that long to get revenge? Because uh, he's yeah. been at the helm for quite some time. And there were questions, I think, before uh, last year's, I think still we can say this, at least for me, surprising Stanley Cup final run that uh, that probably bought him a little bit of time because I think he was in the hot seat in Montreal, uh, you know, for some of the uh, playoff success that he hasn't had. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but my, I mean, my goodness, um, uh, you're absolutely right. You know, with, with Bergevin, uh, there's definitely some qualms there, but, and, and I kind of, I'm kind of curious, my last little side bit to this is, does this open the door to other teams uh, to offer sheet more? Now I've made the argument in the past that probably not. I think this is <laughs> I thought this was a unique situation. <laughs> Um, between two squads, I had a history of this. And as, as my co-host, uh, who sometimes, uh, has uh, some, some verbal vomit sometimes happen on the air. We'll edit sometimes. that out sometimes, right? <laughs> With Elias Patterson, there's no question he would be a target for a lot of teams in a non pandemic salary cap structured year. But again, you ruffle feathers when you do it this way, the offer sheet, you're, you're stealing, essentially stealing away a player that uh, a team drafts that you develop. Again, he was what the third or fifth overall pick yes. when he was, uh, when he was drafted by Vancouver so it is kind of a you know that knife in there uh do you think you see we see more offices in the future or do you think this is just a very um kind of specific situation to two clubs well if Bruce Boudreau ever becomes the general manager of a team you know he will do it to the wild I don't know it's just it's fun to get petty GM season and you get these feuds that go all the way up to the press box but yeah I think at the end of the day it is something that we it's I don't, it's fun that we get to see it happen as infrequently as it does, because when it does happen, it becomes that much bigger of a deal. It's where people are like, right. holy cow, what is going on? So it, it's fun every time. And I don't know, it's just it's given me a whole newfound respect for the fact that not only do players on the ice sometimes knock it along and fight each other, GMs do it, too. And you thought spooky season was interesting. Um, I, I have actually, I, ha, I have actually one final question as always, of course. Um, and I'm going to start with Nick Maxim for my question, Nick, we're going to do it right here, right now. Cause we are All getting right. ready for Minnesota wild hockey here. Where do the Minnesota wild finish in the central position wise? <laughs> oh boy. No. Um, I, I actually am going to go as high as third. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I like Seth's idea of putting those two with Fiala. Now, again, there's some defensive, you know, skeletons that would have to be addressed with that. But I think overall, 
uh, for the best top six, I think you move Jewel Erickson in between Zuccarello and also between Kaprizov. I've, I think that's kind of been rumored to at least try. And for Eric's neck, who does kind of play that grittiness, you, you need somebody that can go in and do some dirty work. Not that Kaprizov or um, Zuccarello can't do that. They're just, that's just not their style of game. So I think you kind of need that little bit of that, you know, yin versus yang to balance them out a little bit. And with Eric's neck, the one thing he does so well, as he puts himself into those tough areas, uh, he puts himself in front of that, like a lot of those 18 goals were within that, you know, six foot mark of the crease. Uh, so that bodes well, I think for that line, uh, on the second part, you know, I, I think with some of the changes defensively with the squad, I do think, you know, Cam Talbot will have a continued good year as long as the defensive court doesn't look like Swiss cheese. That's my only concern. Uh, I just see them being better than St. Louis. I see them being better than Nashville and Chicago. Um, I don't have to put Arizona on this list. We already know where they're going. So I think they actually finished third um, in the conference behind uh, the two juggernauts of uh, Colorado. And uh, who am I else am I missing? Dallas. Someone help me out. What's that? Dallas. Dallas, Dallas. Thank you. Yeah. I think Dallas is going to be a little bit higher than most people I think would think. All right, Seth, what do you got? Do you want my best case or my worst case or both? I want the your, av- I, how about I, the average? I said, I want your, I want your, <laughs> I want your honest case. I want your objective Minnesota because my, my honest opinion might shock you. So <laughs> I I'm still going to go with fourth. Okay. I, I think just banking on other teams in the division that had just super unlucky seasons last year, cough, cough, Dallas, um, I think are going to rise to the oh, occasion. There's that cough. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I think we are going to also see this team and not to say that they're going to have a bad season. They're going to have more of what we would call a normal season. And so I think fourth, but the caveat that I think this team also makes the playoffs. So fourth, fourth in the central. And I think they also um, make the playoffs because the Pacific is garbage. All right. The Minnesota wild ladies and germs, Minnesota wild will finish second in the central this year. They will finish drinking. I want some of it. They will finish only behind the Colorado avalanche. Okay. I think St. Louis finishes fourth. I think Dallas finishes third and I think Chicago finishes fifth. And that's my hot take. I really believe that if this Minnesota group with their young guys, I think if Marco Rossi and or Matt Boldy or both find their stride with this group and the defensive core can at least keep them in hockey games, we know Minnesota wild hockey for so long has been a defensive juggernaut. And I think we're going to kind of see Minnesota stick to that. But now they have some game breakers. They have Kevin Fiala. They have Kroger Prizov, guys that can put the puck in the net. They have decent goaltending. They don't have Devin Dubnik. You're either going to get six goals allowed or zero goals allowed. Just, you know, pull a card out of a hat and see what happens. I think there's more consistency to be found in this group than meets the eye. The biggest question mark is for all of his ups and downs, can the loss of Ryan Suter be alleviated on the back end enough to justify offensive reduction in terms of assists, in terms of a first pass defenseman that's able to get the puck out of the zone and able to keep plays alive. I think if they can do that, I think Minnesota is going to have a lot better year than people give them credit for. I think where we're going to see Minnesota potentially struggle uh, is 
potentially in a couple of years, uh, if you have some guys that are in need of new contracts or, you know, some guys that were filling guys like a Goligoski who are getting older, who maybe aren't producing the same, but I think this year, I think Minnesota has a better chance in the central than people give him credit for. Um, the other guy that it's going to hinge on is, um, I know we talked about Jordan Greenway, but I think Jewel Erickson has to re- at least replicate the season he had last year in order for Minnesota to be successful. But when you look at St. Louis's roster, St. Louis lost a lot. Tarasenko isn't remotely the same player he was if he jumps back in that lineup. I don't know that St. Louis has Minnesota's number the way they did last year. They're a hard, heavy physical team, but I don't know that they're as deep, you know, as they were. The Robert Thomas signing helps, but I just think Minnesota is going to have a much better look in this central than uh, than I think we're going to give them credit for. But like you said, it's going to be a, a well-extended shopping list and all the right things to happen, but that's any team that finishes second in a conference in in most years. So I, I like that. And you know, on the St. Louis topic, that does feel like more of an aberration because of how they did against everybody else. Um, So yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all, especially if them kind of trending down uh, that we catch them kind of right where we need them to be this season. And I mean, four games, I'd love a split. Um, Yeah. You know, and, and honestly, the, the team that I was kind of going back and forth, Dallas, I mean, they might have an up and down year. Chicago could have a way better year than we talked about. If they do get that goaltending, they did make uh, quite a bit of offseason moves as far as the splash factor is concerned. The question is, can you can you put the the mismatched uh, puzzle pieces together to make a pretty picture, if you will? So, um, it, but as always, I think the Central is going to be a dogfight. What what happened to Winnipeg, though? That's the better question. They were a team that was with Connor Hellebuck in that, you know, seem kind of poised and ready to be a, a powerhouse in the central for quite a while. And then suddenly they weren't. So I don't know. It'll be interesting, but Dustin Bufflin has entered the chat <laughs> engine engine trouble for the jets. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, I actually attribute the start of their downfall to the Dustin Bufflin situation. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting when you look at that franchise and, you know, for a guy who is happy enough just being in remote uh, Minnesota fishing and he's got all the money in the world and he's good. I mean, I'm happy for him, but uh, that blue line was, is not the same without him there. Um, he was an anchor to that blue line, both physically. And he did provide offensive man for a guy that was, he's what, six, seven, two thirty. He could skate. He actually could skate. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys where, I mean, when you saw guys like, you know, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, like Derek Bugard skating towards, you know, you can maybe make him miss. Uh, no, Buffalo could track you down. And he was the guy that, and, you know, call credit to him. He was a pretty well-rounded hockey player for a guy of his size. I mean, he was almost like the Eric Lindros version on defense to some extent. Uh, very, very interesting. But uh, the Jets have just really never recovered from that. Um, yeah. The best, is, the best is when Buffalo was carrying two Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, yeah, just, the ice. yeah, just, yeah, just dragging them by the. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's okay. I got you. I mean, that's that's why that's why that's why I feel about St. Cloud State. I'm sure they're going to grab both of us at one day and just all right, get out of here. That's enough. Exactly. So. <laughs> but but speak but speaking of being enough, Seth, we told you we were going to have Jan for half an hour. We just hit the one hour mark. Just passed it actually. So I. Yeah. So we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, before we let you go, uh, Locked on Wild, of course, is your podcast. Uh, anything exciting coming up in the next week for your, for your uh, um, show business? Uh, as they say, fellas, time flies and you're having fun. So uh, appreciate have you having me on here tonight. Uh, tomorrow um, on the Locked on Wild podcast, 
the CEO of 10,000 Takes, joining the show to talk a little bit about uh, their meteoric rise to where they're at now. We also talked about potential replacements for the Benino bit. If the Benino bit continues or if it kind of has to get shelved, I gave what I thought was a pretty good replacement for this year. Um, I won't spoil it here, but uh, I, I think it's going to I think it's going to work because it's really basically the same. And so you may be able to figure out which player I'm talking about, but um, we're doing that. And then on Friday, the Bar Down Beauties joining the show and we're going to talk about uh, training camp questions to watch as we get ready for the weekend with uh, St. Louis on Saturday. And just full pedal to the metal mode after that. So make sure that you don't miss out on any of what we've got coming. Not only full episodes, but also just weird, random YouTube clips that I'll be posting throughout the week as well. I get bored. And so then instead of, you know, instead of throwing on Netflix or what normal people would do, I go on YouTube and I do hockey related bits. So check all that out. Search Locked on Wild on YouTube and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thank you, gentlemen. Seth Topol. Again, we uh, thank you very much for joining us. Again, you can find him uh, on YouTube as well as when you listen to podcasts on Lockdown Wild. Uh, he does a fantastic job with his content. I uh, really enjoy listening to your show. Uh, Seth, again, thank you for joining us. And for those who are listening out there in the Husky Nation, we will see you back in the den here on Sunday coming up with our normal show. Once again, Nick, I always fun to have a guest in the den as always, and a bit of an interesting look at nice to connect with people in the media world and the podcast world too, as well. And talk some Minnesota wild hockey, especially before we get ramping up, we are, uh, uh, pretty much a week and a half away now from uh, some college hockey on the docket. Pretty exciting. Uh, with that, we have our guests scheduled for next week related to college hockey. We'll get to that in just a second, but Nick, any final thoughts on our interview with Seth, uh, and what's to come for the Minnesota wild. Uh, oh goodness. Uh, Darcy Kemper was uh, a large part of his reasoning for, for Colorado being successful. I'm surprised the names McKinnon, Landeskog or Ranson ever came out of his mouth. But, uh, yeah. to his, to his defense, uh, the depth in Colorado is actually kind of suspect, but, uh, uh, and more so, uh, going back to you second, really in the central can't believe that anyway. <laughs> so, um, It'll be fun to actually start uh, in a couple of weeks. Again, the Wild startup was it a week or two after, not three. Yeah, well, I can't even count anymore. Technically, technically, when this show releases, uh, we record this on Wednesday. When it releases on Thursday, that's when uh, training camp starts. So, and Kaprizov will be on the ice, which is uh, very cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, very very good discussion uh, on the squad. I think we all have a, a positive outlook on this season. Uh, just more so, do do the pieces of the puzzle come together to make that picture as you mentioned, Noah? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, I think the 28th is the first preseason game, and then October 9th is the last exhibition game, if you will, and then October 15th there in Anaheim for the home or the season opener, I should say, uh, for the Minnesota Wild. So we're coming up with some hockey really quick. Uh, as always, uh, St. Cloud State, they're getting ready for their uh, matchup on October 2nd with St. Thomas coming up in a week and a half. And then next Monday morning, we are set to record with St. Cloud State men's hockey head coach Brett Larson. And we're going to talk about that upcoming series and the upcoming season for the St. Cloud State hockey group. That one will probably come out either uh, maybe Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning. I haven't really seen. I have class right after we record that interview, so I won't be able to get it up uh, as quickly as I would like. Uh, but other than that, it'll be up uh, very much in time for you to listen and, and get your bearings before the Husky season rolls over and before St. Thomas plays their first ever division one hockey game. So Nick, do we have anything else to add here for episode 79 before we uh, say sayonara here? Hi. 
(laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. Uh, We thank our listeners for tuning into the show and we hope to see you soon here in the den.